Thank you for listening to this message from Forward Ministries. We pray it blesses you, encourages you, and inspires grace in you today. You can visit us online at forwardministries.org. When you hear the message that you're complete and you're perfect and you're holy and you're beautiful and you're acceptable before God already because of Jesus, then you sit there and you think, well, I don't really feel very holy. I I don't think I look very holy. Did you see what I did yesterday? That's not holy. Did you see what I did this morning? But that's our current reality, but the eternal aspect of you is perfect and righteous already. You can't make a mistake in God's eyes. You ever seen parents or, you know, you yourselves as parents, you look at your kids and you're like, you just, doesn't matter. You know, they can mess up as bad as they could possibly mess up and it's just like, it doesn't affect how I feel about them at all. You know, that, that has to be our view of God, looking at us, and it's like, you know, he's like, yeah, I, I know, you blew it again, I know, but I've made you perfect. You're in my family. I've done the necessary work. I've offered, I've provided you the necessary sacrifice so that that stuff doesn't define you. So which one are you going to believe? Are you going to believe that you are your temporary, broken, soulish, carnal self? Or are you going to believe who you really are, and that is the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus? Because if you have confessed Jesus as your Lord, and you accept His sacrifice for you, then what's eternally true What's going to be eternally true is true right now. That, that, that just has to be, that has to be more real to us than anything else that happens to us, that's ever happened to us, that we walk through. And that, that's not living in la-la land, you know. That's not, some people say, well, you've got to live in, you know, you've got to come down to reality. Well, you know what, I choose God's reality. I don't want my reality, because most of it's a lie. <laughs> it's deception, and it's focused on me rather than him. And, you know, so, so much of Christianity is man-centric. It's human-focused. It's what we need to do to experience God, what we need to do to connect to God, what we need to do to get God to do what he already said he would do and did already anyway. Father, we thank you. that's, That's it. That's all we can do is just thank you. We have nothing to offer you but to acknowledge Jesus, the complete work that you have provided for us. You know, that, that, that piece, that, that's where you have to go. That has to be the anchor for your soul, you know. 
where, where do you go when you don't know where to go? Do you just bounce off the wall? You know, a lot of us are like pinball machines, you know. You just pull the thing back in the morning, shoot that ball out, and you just bounce around all day long. Bing, bing, bang, bang, you know. And you might save up some points along the way, but then you drop down in that hole at the end of the day. And you try not to get smacked too hard on the way to bed, you know. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that's, I'm telling you, I know that's how some of your lives are. You just... You just feel like you're just bouncing all day long, reacting, reacting, reacting. They did this. They said this. This happened. This happened. This, you know, 25 years ago this happened. This happened. And you're just constantly reacting. Rather than carrying this deep sense of peace and walking confidently, surely, persuaded of his love for you, not affected by what this world can conjure up to throw at you. Sounds like a good place, doesn't it? That's where I want to live. And we can listen, you know, as Tracy brought the word today, you just listen to God. Let God talk to you like that. That sounds too easy. It's all that... That's that uh, effortless heart-living stuff you're talking about. Well, you know... You can try your best if you want to. Where's that getting you so far? <laughs> or you can depend on him. I'm going to start a new series. Uh, I'm calling it Intentional Living. You know, I, I kind of, usually what I preach in here on the weekends is, is just the result of my dialogue with God throughout the week. And he'll speak things to me, and I'll just hear things, or I'll, you know, as I'm reading. It's just kind of a natural progression for me. Um, you guys know I don't do the outline thing a lot. I'm not really very good at it. So today I have an outline, so agree with me in prayer that Clint will stick to the outline. But, so, I want, you know, we, we talk a lot of conceptual ideas in here, you know, just kind of throwing. My, my goal is not so much to, to teach you things to do, but more so how to think. You know, I want to help you repent, which is change the way that you think about God. And I think the world fundamentally needs to change the way it thinks about God. It needs to think of God as a loving father rather than a angry judge. Now, there's a time and place for judgment, but for you, it already happened. Praise God. So that's where we need to live from. That's, what we need to, that's where we need to communicate from. But a lot of times, our, our hearts don't naturally live in that type of connection with God as a loving Father. So... Today and over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to give you some really practical things, more practical than I would normally do, and, and just kind of look at, you know, some specific things. And it's not so much that you do these things to try to get God working in your life, but what we know is everything about experiencing the kingdom is about the heart. You know, in, in Mark 4, I talk about it a lot in here. But in Mark 4, here we go, notes. Are we ready? I wrote this just to kind of give a, a, a basic foundation. So the, the idea of kind of why I'm going to go into some practical things is because 
people, you know, you hear we're righteous, we're perfect, we're holy, we're pure, you're acceptable before God, you're complete in Him. And it's like, okay, well then you look over in other scriptures and it says, but add this to your faith and add this to your faith and add this to your faith. Well, we have to, bottom line, you just have to understand, in your spirit, you're perfect. But you still have a soul that is subjected to this fallen, broken realm. And your soul has to make a decision of what it's going to believe and what it's going to pay attention to. Your mind, your soul, your emotions, all kind of in that place. You know, emotions are, you know, emotions kind of help us understand the heart because emotions are, we know that they're biochemical reactions that happen in your brain and in your body. Your body produces like chemicals, runs through your body, and it, they're associated with emotions. But then those emotions turn into feelings which you experience in your soul. So your brain kind of has this, you know, body-soul connection because emotions are physical, purely physical, but then you experience them soulishly. Your heart is very much the same thing. Your heart is, you know, some combination of soul and spirit as well. So in other words, it's partly in that soulish realm where your heart will experience those feelings onset by emotions based on what's happened to you out here, but your heart is also connected to that eternal spirit of God. So just like our brain responds to, you know, you can, you, can fee, you can manipulate how you feel. You can put yourself in a place soulishly where you, you begin to think positively, you change the way that you're feeling, and it does have a physical effect on your body, right? Well, so can your spirit part of your heart. You begin to connect to your righteousness, your holiness, your perfect your perfect state of existence in spirit, and then that can begin to affect your heart. And the difference with the heart is, the Bible, the Bible tells us the heart is where we believe. The heart's the real you. The heart is the seat of your being. Above all else, guard your heart because out of your heart flows the issues of life. You know, everything about your life is connected somehow to your heart. You know, every belief that you have it doesn't, it's not in your brain, it's not in your neurons, memory is there, but your beliefs are in your heart. And we basically experience in this life what we believe. You know, that's why God's after our hearts. He wants to help us change our hearts so that we can experience outwardly and inwardly His truth. So, that's kind of the, the basis of where we're going. We're perfect spiritually, but this broken realm still exists, and part of us is in that realm and experiences that realm, and there is a reality to needing to, you know, outwardly live this inward holiness that we've been given, outwardly live this free gift of righteousness that we've been given, and that's by choice. You have to make a choice to be empowered by grace to walk in that holiness, to walk holy to walk worthy of His calling. You know, people criticize a strong grace message so much because they, they think that you're demasculating the or emasculating the gospel or saying that it's okay to sin or going soft on sin or saying that you don't have to, 
you know, live holy. And you hear those holiness, the ones that are preaching on holiness and it's associated with your performance, they hate this message. It's because they're religious. And we forgive them, Lord. <laughs> the kingdom is within us. And this is kind of the Mark 4 concept. The kingdom is within us. The word or the truth is sown in our hearts, which is the process of grace. You know, a lot of times you read scriptures and you'll read where this, this power that works within us or this, you know, God is working within us with his extravagant power. You know, the, that's great. That's, that's just another way of describing the process of grace. And I've got a couple of these. You've got a lot of scriptures here today. So the process of grace is basically God influencing your heart and then the soulish part of your heart needing to make a decision to believe his truth so that you experience it outwardly. And Christianity, you know, we've been duped into running to meetings, running to prophets, running to different kinds of ministers to hear God. God, I don't hear you. I need to go somewhere to hear you. I need to find the right person to lay hands on me. I need to find something out here to tell me who I am. I'm telling you, if, let me say this, and I, I value prophecy highly. I, I don't discredit it. I just want it in its proper place. If you are looking for a word, if you are looking for something for God to say or do to confirm to you what you're supposed to do in your life or what you're supposed to believe about yourself, and you become convinced outwardly by something that comes to you and you use that as your foundation and your direction, then all that means is you're easily influenced by outward things. And what if something else comes along that seems to contradict the last word you got? Then we get in this place of, oh my God, now, I, now what am I supposed to do? God, because you said this over here, now you're saying this over here. And it's like, well, okay, you're living out here. Don't do that. <laughs> Prophecy is for exhortation, edification, and comfort. If a prophecy does not bring comfort for you or edify you or build you up, if it gives you a direction that is not already within your heart, just shelf it. And, you know, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So any prophecy that you ever get should do those things, ex exhort, edify, and comfort, but it should testify of the finished work of Christ in your life. If, if the foundation of the prophecy that you get does not testify of the finished work of Christ in your life, don't listen to it. Don't listen to prophets who think that storms are from God. That's looking to a broken world to try to define who God is, and that's not God. God's not in the storm. Ask Elijah. All right. So God's divine influence on our hearts that brings a capacity. So from there, the condition of our heart, which is where we believe, or the seed of our being, the soil, as Jesus likens it to in Mark 4, the condition of the soil, the condition of the heart, after the word is sown into it, determines the yield. And the yield is kingdom fruit. The blessing, basically. 
It's promised to you, but we all know we're not experiencing the full fruit of the promise that's been given to us that in fact is our right because we are engrafted into the covenant that Jesus has with the Father. Those things are there for you, but it's because we still think soulishly and we still get on our own efforts and we live in our past and we live with the hurts that have come toward us and that defines us. And I know I'm saying a mouthful, but, you know, I, all right, let me keep going. Want, just say, stick to your notes. Kopi, help me out. All right. So, in this case, the yield is the benefits or the kingdom, of the kingdom or the promises, blessings in our life. God's unmerited favor is on our lives. There's nothing that you can do to deserve or qualify for God's favor. It's His decision, and He's given it to you, and it's on your life, and you can't do anything about it except not believe and don't do that. So God's unmerited favor is on your lives, but to the degree, and this is all kind of a Mark IV summation, to the degree that we hold up the truth in our lives and in our hearts determines whether we'll experience more lack or more blessing. You know, in Mark 4, it kind of gets down to the place where it says, and those who have, more will be given, and those who have not, even what they have will be taken away. That's not the process of you performing well enough and then God saying, okay, I'm going to give you more, and then you don't perform well enough, and then he says, okay, I'm going to take it away from you. He's talking about the natural progression of the way the heart experiences the Word of God. He's talking about the inward kingdom. You know, Jesus says... The kingdom of God doesn't come with outward observation. The kingdom of heaven is within you. And it's in you to grow out of you. So what this world needs is you walking around as a heaven plant growing the kingdom. <laughs> out of your own heart, out of your life, out of your trust for Him. So all that to say... It's about the heart. It's about the condition of our hearts experiencing everything that He has for us. So, we need to make sure our hearts are at a place where we can experience. Right? And you don't get your heart holy. You don't get your heart pure yourself. Your heart become cons becomes convinced of God's love and God's blessing as it focuses on the truth. You know, when, when Jesus says, he kind of throws this odd parable in there. He says, you know, a candle isn't to be put under the bed. Once, you, once that candle is lit, you put that candle up high so that it can illuminate. That candle is representative of revelation. That candle is representative of the Word of God shedding light on your life. And, you know, we've talked, I've talked a couple of weeks or a couple of months, I don't know, about, you know, when you have those revelations, when you have those aha moments, what do you do with those? Do you just kind of enjoy it for the day or do you write it down and steward? Do you, do you steward revelation from God? Or do you just, you know, celebrate it for a day or a week and then wait for the next one? I mean, we only need one. You can live on that your whole life. So if the concept is our heart and the condition of it determines how much of God we're going to let ourselves experience, 
But we need to do some things to make sure our heart is healthy. This is the practical part of what I want to get to. Specifically, I want to talk about relationships. Because, I, you know, I hear it all the time. And if you've said this to me, please don't think I'm picking on you because it's, it's this, it, this is true for many people. You know, I don't know. I don't hear God. I don't feel God. How do I hear God? How do I know? How can I do that? How can I? And I'll tell you, you know, one of the best ways to cultivate being able to hear the voice of God is look in your life and look at your relationships. How well do you hear people? How connected are you with people? What, what are the general, what's the general condition of the relationships that you have in this life? And that's a direct reflection of the capacity that you have to hear from God. The capacity that you have to connect with God on many different levels. And I'll, I'll kind of shed a little bit more light on what I'm talking about. Now, I understand, you know, we've all got issues. We've all got past, you know, our fathers haven't been good to us and people have gone through horrific things. I get that. So, you know, let's just kind of level the playing field and just say in a perfect world, all things being equal, if you look at the way that a relationship should be, there are things about each different kind of relationship that we have in this life that can help us connect to God on different levels. And this, there's kind of a principle here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 28. And uh, I think you're following me back there, Nathan. But 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight, And this is, you know, the context he's talking about uh, communion. And, you know, we get this so wrong because we don't understand the body and blood of Christ. But it says, let a man examine himself. So let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. And see, because religion is performance-based, it takes this beautiful sacrament of communion and focuses it on sin and flesh and performance. But there's a cross-reference here over to 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. Flip over there. I, I'm not exactly sure. I didn't put the, the version that I'm reading from, so it might not exactly match that, but... You know, a lot of times when you read something in Scripture and you see it in a couple of different places, line them all up together. If there's a concept specifically like this examining yourself thing, put them all together. You know, do your research. Take your time to read your Bible. You should read your Bible. <laughs> but when you come across a concept, put all the Scriptures together that, are, that kind of touch on that same concept and get a big picture of what that looks like scripturally rather than just one isolated. There's probably a word for that. What's, it? What's the word for that? Is there a theological word for that? It's called big picturism. <laughs> so 2 Corinthians 13, 5. This examining yourself concept, we get a little bit more information on it here. Examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. See, any introspection should not be looking for sin or fault or shortcomings because God has removed that stuff from you. If God is not rehearsing or remembering your sins, then any introspection that you should do should not be looking for that sin and guilt and condemnation. I promise you, you are in sin somewhere in your life. 
Don't look for it. Look for Jesus. Examine yourself to see if you're in faith, to see if we're really trusting God. And that he, so it says, um, and this is kind of that concept of prophecy. Make sure everything that you believe about yourself and life and other people is anchored by the finished work of the cross. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in, in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. You know how you fail the test? You don't realize Christ is in you. I'll let the Holy Spirit illuminate that one. Again, we don't examine ourselves to look for sin. We examine ourselves to see if we're in faith. And if you find and you discover that you're not in faith toward God in any particular area, make a decision. I, you know what? I'm gonna, I don't know what I've been doing, but I'm going to be in faith toward God in this area. And we have to go through our lives. I mean, you know, I call this intentional living because so many times with our spirituality and our Christianity, we're just kind of in default mode. It's kind of like... If we hear something that makes us feel good, we're willing to believe that or not, you know, but it's, you know, we have to learn to replace our carnal thinking with the truth. Yes. And one of the concepts that I want you to adopt for the rest of your life is when you're in any situation, particularly if it's, if it's a difficult situation for you, use this concept, examine yourself, test yourself to see whether or not you're in faith toward God. See if you are actually trusting God in that particular area. And if you, if you look in that area and there's whatever, there's instability, it's because you're not aware of Christ in you in that moment in that area. Look for Jesus in you in whatever area. Does that make sense? See, if God's not condemning you, for those that are in Christ, there is no condemnation. If God's not condemning you, don't let your inward introspection be condemnation. You know, take God's lead. I mean, it's like we don't believe the Bible or something. You know, we're more, we're more comfortable with, well, this is what I think, or this is what I feel. And you know what? That feeling will lie to you, and it's temporary, and it may not even be true. But the Word is true. Become a student of the Word and let those be your thoughts especially about yourself. You know, and in this area of relationship, when Jesus was getting ready to get out of here and he was talking about the Holy Spirit, he said, he will lead you and guide you into all truth. He'll tell you what the Father is saying and he'll show you things to come. And he will remind you, his Spirit is in, our, is in us bearing witness that we are children of God. So it's, a, it's, a, it's the context of relationship. You know, God is an emotional relationship-oriented being. I mean, He is. You read through the Scripture and He's got... It's surprising how emotional God is. I mean, I don't mean He's unstable. I just mean He he's experiences a range of emotions. Anybody in here do that? Well, God does too. So, you know, I, I want to help us live in some practical areas, look at some practical areas in the area of relationship. And this is not easy, 
So you have to know, you have to come at it realizing I'm perfect, I'm holy before God, but there is some work that I can do in the area of my heart and working on relationships is one of those ways that I can tend the garden of my heart so that it's in the best possible condition to let the kingdom grow. See, it's, it's, it's such a paradox. We do all this work just so that we can be in a place of rest so that the kingdom will naturally manifest. You cannot make the blessing manifest. You can't qualify for it, but you surely can slow it down with your efforts and with your wrong <laughs> thinking. It's true, Galatians 2, 21. So any work that we do is not to qualify. It's not to try to receive the blessing. You know, it's like, well, you got you to sow a gift to, to receive. It's like, you know what? No. If I sow a gift, it's to prepare my heart to enlarge the capacity to let God be God in me. God is sovereign, but He's sovereign in that spiritual kingdom dimension. And so when we are yielding to that dimension, then His sovereignty can affect this realm. But He's not sovereign in this realm specifically where He's dictating every little thing that happens in your life and it's all planned out and this tornado missed that house because that's God's will and that's sovereignty. No, that's not God's sovereignty. God's, God, and this is a paradox, God is as sovereign as you'll let Him be. He's sovereign in that spiritual kingdom realm. It's just that we need to connect to that so that He can be sovereign in our lives as well. And that, that's, you know, that's a big revelation that if you'll really think about that, it'll help you reconcile why bad things happen. You know, if God's good, then why bad things happen? Why is it sometimes, why, is, why sometimes I experience it, but why sometimes I don't? Well, sometimes you're letting God be sovereign, sometimes you're not. Okay. <clears throat> Let's flip over to 2 Peter chapter 1. The context is here, um, people are questioning, questioning whether or not Paul was from God. And there's a principle that we can see in, in the context of relationships um, that, you know, that we can pull out of this. Usually this scripture is pulled out as the progression to holiness. It's like, okay, now that you believe, do all the rest of this stuff and then you can become holy. No. You're holy. So now do all this stuff. Right? You're holy. So live it. This is how you live it. You know, I mean, sometimes you do have to put some effort into... Living out what's already true. It's already true. Your effort doesn't make it true. Your effort just bears it true outwardly. You know, we work out our own salvation. We've got salvation, but we work it out with awe and respect toward God. Fear and trembling. You know, when Jesus quoted the psalm that says, You shall fear the Lord your God. Jesus quoted that psalm. He said, You shall worship the Lord your God. Anywhere you see fear... It should be worship because if the Son of God retranslated that word, I think we should too. 
If anybody's qualified, he is. <laughs> Don't be afraid of God. Worship. So, all right. <clears throat> and, you know, that, that is such a, it's such a fine line, but once you see it, then you see it. You know, once you see this thing of, okay, I'm not going to do this to be holy. I am holy, so I'm going to do this. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to take you at your word. I'm perfect. Now I'm going to lean on your grace to live this stuff out. Second uh, Peter 1, starting in 3. His divine power, what is that? Everybody, what is that? Grace. See, grace is everywhere. We've just, we've just missed it. This, this is the process of grace. So his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. And I, I love this. And if you, if you understand righteousness, then you, you will read this properly. But usually people miss this part. And the part being, he's already given you everything, right? He's given you everything, given you everything that pertains unto life and godliness. You have to start there. And I'm so glad Paul knows what he's doing when he's writing here because that's where he starts. I've given you everything already. God's given you everything that pertains unto life and godliness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises. There you go. He's given you the promises. So that through them, you may participate in the divine nature. I love that. God has given you promises so that when you walk in them, you participate in his divine nature. Healing, provision, peace, joy. Experiencing those things are, are so that you can experience life as God has it. So... <clears throat> having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort. All right. You see where the confusion can come in? Make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection, love. Again, that is not the, pro the, the progression to holiness. This is really, if you, want, if, if you were to label this anything, this is the progression to maturity. Th this is the progression to being a decent human being. <laughs> Getting over yourself and, and, and allowing the promises to bear fruit in your life to the degree that it ultimately brings you to the place that you are a loving person. That's the goal. You're perfect. You just may not be very good at loving people. Maybe even yourself. <clears throat> For if you possess these qualities... In increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Man, don't you feel that way sometimes? Man, I've got all this knowledge, but how in the world do I get up? It's ineffective. Well, this is, this is a process to engage in. Because you're holy, live this stuff out. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting 
that they have been cleansed from their past sins. He is so smart in how he wraps this thing up. It's like, you got everything. It's so you can experience God. Now submit to the process. And if you're not living in it, it's because you forgot that your sins are forgiven already. I mean, we try, we get plugged into this thing of walking through these things and think we have to do all these things to, to be forgiven or whatever. You know, I don't know. I don't know all the sermons that have been preached from this scripture to use as a performance tool to make you live to be holy, you know. Mark 12. Again, we're talking about relationships. We're talking about we want to experience God. If you're saying, God, I don't hear you, I don't know how to hear you, invest in relationships. Become a loving person, and as you engage people, it will help you experience God. Mark 12, starting in verse 29. The most important one, talking about commandments. They're always trying to trip Jesus up. Jesus said, this is the most important one, most important commandment. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind, with all your strength. Now, take some time to do that. Mark 12, verse 30. This is not just poetic phraseology here. These are very specific things. How do you love God with your heart? How do you love God with your soul? How do you love God with your mind? How do you love God with your strength? That, that's, that's for you to figure out how you do that in the context of relationship with Him. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no greater commandment. 1 John 3, 23. And this is a command to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. Now, we have to remember, too, that new covenant commandments only come with blessing. Because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, if you don't keep one of these commandments, it's not legally necessarily viewed as you breaking a commandment because you've been delivered from the curse of the law. So even if it's said to you, you're supposed to keep the law, you're supposed to keep the commandments, well, sure, but if I do, there's only blessing. There's not cursing if I don't keep it. You know, we have to understand the new covenant in that context. So if you don't love people, God is not waiting to condemn you. God is not withholding blessing from you, but your heart will not be in the condition to let that flow through you. That's why forgiveness is so important. Jesus, when he talked about forgiveness, and he said, if you don't forgive people, God won't forgive you. That was, that was as a prophet of the old covenant, and that changed once his blood was spilled and he rose from the grave. You are forgiven already now because, because God has forgiven you the whole world of their sins. And it's not that Jesus was wrong or we're trying to change what Jesus was saying it's just that you have to differentiate when he was teaching Old Covenant and what's, if it's changed under the New Covenant. So your forgiveness does not come after you forgive someone else. You're forgiven already. The whole world is forgiven whether or not they believe. It's just that not all have believed under righteousness. 
but there will be forgiven people cut off from God in eternity. God's not holding their... God, that's what we, He told us to do, go into the world and tell them God's not holding your sins against you. So I want you to understand, if you don't love people or you have unforgiveness in your heart, God is not withholding the promises or the blessings because we just read in 1 Peter, He's given you all of the promises so that you can partake. So the process of forgiveness for you as a believer is to you know, toil up the ground of your heart to let that flow through you, to experience what God has for you. All right. I know I'm preaching like 15 sermons in one day. But this is, happen this is what happens when I get practical. You guys want those practical type sermons, the outlines with the ABC? You'll think again before you want that one, that kind of message for me going. When Jesus talked about the new covenant, he raised it to the heart level. You know, not only do you have to keep the law, but you have to not break the law in your heart too. Yeah. So, you know, not only are you, you know, he says you say it's adultery if you slept with another woman. I say it's adultery if you've looked at another woman. It's like, uh-oh, really? With our hearts involved too? So yeah, the new, the new covenant, there's, there's actually more responsibility under the new covenant than there was under the old because not only are you expected to walk holy, but your heart is supposed to live holy as well. But remember, there is no, we're free from the curse of the law, so if you don't live up to that standard, there's no condemnation. That's not an excuse, that's just the kind of relationship that God decided that we were going to have with Him in the new covenant. That's good news. <laughs> so, you know, we're talking, you know, one of, one of these things, you just kind of have to take it on faith that investing in relationship and experiencing different facets of people will help you experience God in different ways. And don't, don't fool yourself. Don't think that you can live isolated from people, but yet have this amazing, wonderful relationship with God. Excuse me. I didn't like that one. I mean, you know, that, that's, that's one of those truths that's potentially offensive to you, but let me just read some scriptures here. Stick to the outline, please. Okay, thank you. Uh, you know, and, and I, again, I know people are not trustworthy many times, so I'm not saying that you just give blanket trust and you treat people, you, you expect from people what God can be for you. Um, in fact, there's this incredible book called Boundaries. If you've never read this, read it. It's uh, Dr. Henry Cloud and Dr. John Townsend. It's, it's an excellent book. I got this copy. I've, I had an old copy lost it or gave it away or something. I think I got this used for like $2 on Amazon. So, you know, there, there's lots of used copies out there. Boundaries. It's really good for this type of stuff. Um, James chapter 3, verses 9 through 10. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. This is part of that process of examining yourself. 
If you find yourself having difficulty connecting with God, if you hear yourself saying, I don't, I don't hear God. God, I'm not hearing you. I don't feel you. One of the ways to examine yourself is what are you saying about people? How are you treating people? Where are you with people? Because that's a direct reflection of where you are from God. Matthew 5. You've heard it said to people long ago, Do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subjected to judgment. But I tell you, anyone who is angry with his brother will be subjected, subjected to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, or fool, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says you fool will be in danger of hellfire. So Jesus linked the outward behavior of murder with the inward attitude of condemnation. And this is the concept that you're talking about under the new covenant. You know, we're expected to live a whole different level of holiness than the, than the law could ever produce. But you have to know that it's by grace through faith. Every, everything about, if there's one thing that I could ever teach you, and that is anything that you experience from God is by grace through faith. All right. So the point being, you know, Jesus wants us to consider our heart's attitudes toward people. You know, where are we? What? And we know where we are. You know, we, we know where we are. What, what's your general attitude toward people? I've been around lots of people, pastors, that think that they're the smartest individual and everybody else on the planet is dumb. Everybody, you know, we have to teach this stuff at a third grade level because people don't get it. Blah, 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 blah. Watch it, you know. How, what do you think about people? Uh, this is a little cross-section of relationships that I wrote out. But as part of your homework, I want you to look at the different relationships that you have in your life Examine yourself to see if you're in faith toward God in those areas of experiencing that kind of relationship with God and also see what, you know, what is being reflected about your experience of God in this kind of relationship. I'll show you what I mean. You know, as children, we learn dependency and honor. So... What's your relationship like as being a child? Did you learn dependency and honor? And again, this is personal for me. You take the time to do this. Does that make sense? Kind of just look at your relationships and think, okay, well, what can I learn about where I am with God in the context of where my relationships are? You know, as friends, we learn relationship and trust. With our spouses, we learn intimacy and co-laboring. And, you know, God likens our relationship to Him as a marriage really more than any other other than sonship. Um, you know, we experience the mystery of being one with God as we experience in our marriage. So you have difficulty feeling that deep, intimate connection with God. What's your marriage look like? Uh-oh. You know, with authority, with your boss, with police, you see a cop, do you just instantly kind of... Or are you thankful for those police officers? You know, I mean, what, what's your attitude toward people in authority? 
I mean, with my background, I see blue lights. It's kind of, there's still a... You know. And, and you have to get over that, you know. You have to get over that concept of, is God looking for where I'm, messed, I'm messing up, you know. No. All right, last scripture here. 1 John 4. And I'm almost going to read this whole chapter. <clears throat> but it's good. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Yeah, I, I have an idea, and um, I think I've mentioned this before, but I'm thinking about taking the time to kind of arrange, like after I preach a message, take the time to arrange my notes in a little more coherent order, almost like a blog, and, and put them out every week. Is that something that you guys will be interested in seeing? Okay. And I'll say, make sure you're on our email list then. Um, because that's how it'll go out. And there's a slip you can put your email on. Uh, verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God. Now, this is not, this, this word know doesn't mean you've never met him. When you look at the tense of this Greek word, it's a present active tense, I think is the right tense. That means presently, and the word know has more to do with experiencing than if you have the original knowledge of. So what it's really saying here is if you're not loving, then you're not presently experiencing God. You know, if I were to say to you, I'm going to run back there, or I ran back there, you would know that would mean something to you. Well, we have to understand that this is from a language that means something different than the language that we have it in. So just as simple as changing the tense is in run and ran, we have to do that in these kinds of settings too. And it, it really changes everything when you look at it in the proper tense, and it means right now. If you're not loving people, it doesn't mean you've never, you've never met him. It doesn't mean that you can look at people and question their salvation based on how well they love people. It just means in this moment, you are not experiencing the love of God for you if you're not loving people. So whoever does not love does not know God or is not presently experiencing God. And how true that is, because God is love. This is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is, not, this is love, not that we love God, but that God loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and His love is made complete in us. That's powerful. You want God's love to be complete in you? Love people. This is how we know that we live in Him and He lives in us, and He has given us His Spirit. As we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world, if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. It's pretty simple. And so we know and rely on the love of God, the love God has for us. God is love. 
Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. I don't know how to live in God. I don't know how to experience you, God. God, how do I hear you? Well, you know what? Love people. Because as you love people, you are loving God. And as you love people, you are experiencing God. And as you love people, God's love is made complete in you. And you don't have to get in some mystical cloud and detach from this realm and try to figure out how to get God to give you something. It's very simple. You don't feel God? Love on people a little while, and that will complete God's love in you. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we're like Jesus. Or as a different translation says, as He is, so are we in this world, so that you don't have to be afraid in that last day of judgment. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And if God's already punished Jesus, then why be afraid of God? Because there is no punishment awaiting you. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. <coughs> we love because He first loved us. Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister, whom they have seen, cannot love God, whom they have not seen. It's pretty strong. And He has given us His command, anyone who loves God must love their brother and sister. Loving people is just as spiritual as seeing an angel stand directly in front of you and tell you a word that affects the rest of your life. Loving people and being able to have loving relationships is just as spiritual as laying hands on somebody and they get cured of cancer and it never come back for the rest of their lives. It is. It never once says the way you complete God's love in you is to go out and lay hands on the sick, does it? You know, we kind of have it backwards. Even with the spiritual things about Christianity, we're still focused on the performance aspects of it. Oh, God, now I'm a Christian. Now I'm going to do all these... I'm like magic. I'm going to do all this stuff, you know. I mean, we, we want to be like magicians going around. <sighs> I've heard stories about some of the healing revivalists or some of the meanest people in the world. You know, don't be a mean person. Be nice. Thus you fulfill the completeness of love, God's love, you know. That, and that, that is what the world needs to see is God's love. It's the goodness of God that draws people to repentance. And what are you showing them? Father, thank you. Thank you for your love for us. And we do, we repent from whatever it is that we've turned Christianity into. And we, we, we focus it back on one simple thing, and that is love. Loving you, loving people, experiencing your love, experiencing love from people. And we do, we commit to this process of, of looking at our lives, starting knowing that we're completed in you spiritually, so there's not, there's not guilt and shame and condemnation that this process should drag up. There's just work to be done 
to prepare our hearts to properly let you be sovereign in our lives. We thank you for that grace. We thank you that it is that inner power that works in us to help us connect to those promises. That process is already in motion. We don't have to convince you to bless us. But we do need to walk in maturity to show the world your love. Now just ask him, where can I start? We've got, there are horrific things that have happened to people, even in this room. And it's time for it to have no more power over you. It's time for the power of your past to be broken so that you can deeply and truly experience God's love and have genuine connection with people. And there's several of you in here. Even right now, Father, we thank you. We trust you that you're doing that work.